Hello. My name is Liz Shimwell, and I am um, so happy that you guys have joined us this morning, this afternoon. Um, I'm going to start by just being really honest with you. It's a hard week for me, um, and I'm not here for myself. I'm here because God willed it to be. So I might need these, and, and also your patience and your prayers, um, but I was called to be here today. So I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you I didn't want to be here today. I didn't want to be on this stage sharing this story. This week is hard for me. It's a week that will forever be marked with pain. A week that I am exhausted from the muscle memory of grief and tiptoeing around landmines. It's a week where I have felt the worst pain of my existence and a week when I have felt the most peace. It is a week where I am made still to not only feel all of the feelings, but to also sit in them a little while longer. I have shared this story many times on many stages in front of many people, but never during this particular week. I didn't want to be here today. I didn't know, honestly, if I could be here today, but God. But God calls us out of our comfort zones, sometimes begrudgingly, for his name's sake and not our own. So here I am, fully relying on God to get me through the next few minutes, hours, days, and so on. I stand here broken and heartbroken, but God has a word for you today that he, for some unmistakable reason, has graciously, undeservedly called me to speak. So here we go. As difficult as this week is for me, before this week were other difficult ones, and we'll begin there. In February 2016, my dad was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. If you know anything about me, or you've ever heard me talk about my dad, you know that I speak very highly of him because he was my hero. My dad was the glue that held my family together my first phone call, my go-to for advice, my on-call handyman, my career counselor, my shoulder, my safety net. He was tough but kind. He was smart, resilient, funny. He loved Jesus, and he loved his family, and no one better come between him and the ones he loved. And so when I knew my time with him was coming to an end, I began to mourn him while he was still here. That anticipatory grief of a looming day when he would soon be gone. And when that day did come, it was as if the world felt different. Like something had permanently shifted. Like my life was now broken into two very distinct timelines. On the one side, there was the only world I had ever known. A life where my dad was a very active participant in it. And now on the other was a world I didn't want to be a part of where he was gone. And at that point, my dad's death would be the biggest heartache I would experience. As difficult as losing dad was for me, for my brother, my sister, my entire family, really, it was catastrophic for my mom. 
Mom and dad met through mutual friends in her home country of South Korea. It wasn't exactly love at first sight. He thought she was beautiful, and she thought he was a smart aleck. True. But eventually, he won her over. They went on dates. He met her family. When he returned to the States, they continued writing letters to each other for two years. Dad even proposed to Mom in a letter. And Mom, having not even seen him for two years, got on a plane, leaving everything she knew, her family, her country, her culture, her life, everything she knew behind. They were married 45 years when death parted them. So not only was Dad her soulmate, her best friend, her partner, he was also a resource, a provider, a caretaker. See, Mom had lupus and other chronic health conditions that would require my dad's assistance a lot. He took her to doctor's appointments. He cared for her flare-ups. He generally just took care of her. And despite being a naturalized citizen of the U.S. for most of her life, she was still very self-conscious of her thick Korean accent. Some people had a hard time understanding her, and to be honest, many things got lost in translation. She experienced paralyzing fear and social anxiety, which caused her to retreat in most social situations, again, relying heavily on Dad to guide her through those moments. So when Dad died, Mom truly felt lost and alone and afraid and as much as we tried to be what dad was for her, we just couldn't. No one could. Her mental and emotional health was in crisis. She put on a good front like many people do. She said all the right things, told us, reassured us that she was fine, even though we knew she wasn't. We couldn't force her to seek the help that she needed. We couldn't pray her pain away. We couldn't help her. So she spiraled further into a deep, dark depression where she longed for the pain to end. As the anniversary of my dad's passing approached, I think mom thought that she should feel better, that her pain should be less, that the waves of grief should be easier to manage. She thought that she should be moving through her grief, but instead she felt stuck in it, weighed down by it. She had faith, and she loved the Lord, which made it more difficult for her to understand why she was still surrounded by so much darkness. I think she was more conflicted and confused when well-intended people told her messages of prosperity that she misunderstood. She felt like a burden. She was tired. She was afraid. She felt hopeless. In less than a year after we lost Dad, my mom ended her own life. I couldn't understand it. I was still grieving Dad, and now I was shocked with grief on top of grief. I was sad, of course, but I was also angry. I felt cheated. I thought she was selfish. I thought she was weak. I thought, how could she do this to us? I thought she should be stronger. Part of this was fueled by my feelings on losing dad. My dad, he was a ray of sunshine, just positivity and grit running through his veins. He had so much life left in him. It was his body that gave out. His spirit so very much alive if his body would have carried him a little bit further. 
In fact, he literally, he had lung cancer, he literally fought for every single breath, every single second he had with us until his body just couldn't carry him any longer. Mom was different. With mom, her body, though it had its problems, it would have kept going a little bit longer. It was her willingness that gave up. She had no fight left, no more to give. So here was dad, literally fighting for every less breath, and less than a year later, mom giving it up. And I just thought, that's so unfair. And giving up, well, that's just something that didn't happen in my house. I am originally from Harlan County, Kentucky. Um, You probably know somebody from there. You've probably heard about us. Our reputation is true. (laughs) We have a reputation for being tough, for being fighters, and it's true. I grew up in a house, in a culture, in a generation where if, if we fell and scraped our knee, we were told to rub some dirt on it, keep moving, right? I like to share this story because it's a really good example of, uh, of my childhood. I have a permanently bent pinky because I broke it once on a trampoline. And my dad, the tough guy that he is, said, if I take you to the doctor, all they'll do is splint that for you. And I can do that at home. And so he did with a popsicle stick and some electrical tape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were, we were raised to be tough, to be fighters, to never give up, and certainly to never lose hope. I didn't understand what mom was going through, and so I resented her for it. Like I said, I thought she was weak. I didn't understand the full scope of her pain and grief because I couldn't. And that's the thing about grief. It's your own, and it can be very isolating because it is so deeply personal. Grief, it's something that I thought I knew after my dad died, something I had kind of become accustomed to when my mom died. Yet nothing could have prepared me for the heartache that I would experience another year later. Our son Marco turned four on August 25th, 2018. He, for some reason, was so excited to be four. He told everyone who would listen that he was, in fact, four or going to be four, And I mean everyone. I mean when we were checking out at Walmart, back when people checked you out at Walmart, and they would ask him what his name was, he would say, I'm four. I would pick him up from daycare at the end of the day, and I would say, Marco, how was your day today, buddy? He'd be like, Mommy, I am four. So excited. We called him our Sour Patch Kid because he was just as sour as he was sweet, sometimes even more. We signed him up to play flag football, a game he never got to play, but he couldn't wait to tackle. When we explained, you know, there's no tackling in flag football, he would just say, it's okay, they'll learn. (laughs) Yeah. Batman was his favorite superhero because, well, mommy, Batman helps people. The last night we spent at home together, I was feeling a little under the weather, and honestly, a little pity party for myself was happening. And when... I said something to the effect of, who's going to take care of me? I don't feel good. Talking to my husband, who was sleeping and clueless. (laughs) Right, Ruth? (laughs) Little Marco nuzzled up to me, his chubby cheek against mine, and profoundly and prophetically said to me, don't worry, Mommy, I'll take care of you. 
I'll always take care of you. <clears throat> Yesterday, I marked the five-year anniversary of the worst day of my life. The last day that I would hear Marco's voice or see his smile. A day that everything changed. A day that I will never recover from on this side of heaven. My husband, Ben, had taken our two sons, Maximo and Marco, to watch a UK football game. After they left the game, while waiting to cross the street, they were struck by a vehicle driven by an 18-year-old who was under the influence. By all intents and purposes, Marco was gone the moment he was hit. Not survivable is the term the doctors used for his injuries. There were no options for medical intervention. Clinically speaking, there was nothing that could be done. Five years ago today, I was lying in a hospital bed next to my lifeless four-year-old son. His body broken, battered and bruised, relying on machines to keep his heart beating and his lungs breathing, holding on to hope, praying for a miracle, waiting for a miracle, expecting a miracle. We were desperate for God to save him, heal him. We believed that God could, expected that he would, but knew that we had to trust him even if he didn't. And he didn't. Tomorrow, September 17th, will be five years from the date that is written on Marco's death certificate and etched permanently onto his gravestone and my heart. The day that the clinical team performed his final medical exam where they still saw no signs of brain function and no signs of life. Tomorrow marks the day Marco was officially de declared dead and a part of me died too. We decided that Marco would be an organ donor, so he remained on life support while a match was found and an organ transplant team coordinated. And five years ago, on September 19th, I walked beside his body for the last time. I held his small hand in mine as the machines were turned off. His life flashed before my eyes as I remembered the first time I heard his heartbeat, now hearing it for the last. No more breath, no more air. His body stiffened and he was gone. There was silence and then these words in my heart. Naked you came from my womb and naked you will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I had deep faith that could move mountains I knew God is good and wants good for me. And that's exactly why I believed so deeply that God would heal Marco and that we would all witness a miracle. I was already in a season of deep pain and loss and grief before that fateful day. I thought that if God is good, which I know he is, and God loves me, which I know he does, there's no way that he will let this happen. After everything I've been through, after everything I've lost, there's no, God, no way that God will take my son to. 
No way that God would make me walk through this without my parents to help me. No way that our oldest son would know the pain of losing his grandparents and now witness the loss of his brother in such a devastating, traumatic way. No way that our family would have to navigate this amount of grief that we were already drowning in. No way that we could survive this. No way. But there was a way, and he did allow it. Though he didn't cause it, he allowed it. Because nothing gets to us without first passing through God's hands. So then my question became, why? Why is this happening? Why me? Why does a loving God who cares for us, loves us, allows so much suffering and pain and death? Why didn't God heal my dad, restore my mom, save my son? Why not at least one of them? Why has he delivered miracles for others? And now it seems like not for me. Then another question. Why not me? Why do I think I deserve anything more than the grace that is already sufficient for me? Truly, I don't even deserve that, but I have it nonetheless. Jesus suffered a grueling, painful death on the cross. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was betrayed. He endured it all. He prayed for God's will to change it, but he endured it all for me and for you. So if I want to follow Jesus, and oh, I do, and I want to be more like him, and I do, and I want to be a woman of faith, and I do, how on earth can I expect to get through this life without pain and without suffering? Jesus understands our pain because he's felt it too. And if I want to walk in step with my Lord and Savior, I have to be willing to suffer. For it is in my weakness that he makes me strong so that his glory may be revealed. For some reason, God chose me for such a time as this. God gave me this testimony, and he allows me to be part of his story through it. I have the free will to say no, but faith won't let me. In the years since Marco's passing, I have seen miracles. I've witnessed how God brings purpose from our pain. God poured out his love to us through a church and a community that wrapped themselves around us in our greatest time of need. There were students on campus praying for us, football players, coaches, staff loving us. Messages from people who said they had never prayed before never spoken to God, wasn't sure if they even believed he was there, but they felt compelled to talk to him now for us. We knew that Marco's life and death would not be in vain, that God was already making beauty from ashes, but that we had to be willing to say yes, to take steps not knowing where he was leading, to have faith, to t trust God's promises and purposes on our lives. And so in the months after Marco's passing, and in obedience to what God called me to do, I stepped away from a 15-year career that I loved, though I did not know where God was leading me. And since then, God has called me to ministry and mission work. We started in a nonprofit to honor Marco, where our mission is to bring hope, comfort, and healing through ripples of positive change. We do this a few different ways, one of which is by birthday boxes. Through the Marco Shimwell Foundation, we've been able to donate more than 4,000 birthday celebrations 
to remind others that they are loved, that they are valuable, and that their lives have purpose. A few weeks ago, when we gathered for our annual packing party event, which is held around Marco's birthday every year, I reminded our team of volunteers that this is God's mission, not ours, that this is God's story, not ours, and that this is for God's glory, not ours. God has called me to be a witness, helping me to comfort others in their grief with the comfort I have received from him. I am grateful for the blessings that have come from the heartache and the way God compassionately and continuously draws me into him from death to life. The life of my own faith and walk and trust in the Lord renewed, restored, strengthened. The life of my oldest son and husband whose faith, relationship, and reliance on Jesus is unwavering because of how they have experienced God in their lives through such difficult times when we had no strength and had to be carried by our loving Lord. The way they overflow God's love and compassion to others because of it. And two years after we said goodbye to Marco, we welcomed new life into our home with our youngest son, McCray, whose name means Son of grace, for it is by grace we have been saved, and this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Last year, I commissioned a local artist to do a painting of our family, which, by the way, makes me feel and sound really fancy. I'm not, but I like to pretend sometimes. But it's the only, it's the only complete picture that I have where my family is whole, McCray will hear stories of his big brother, Marco, but will never have the pleasure of playing with or knowing him in this life. Maxima will tell stories of his best friend and little brother, Marco, but will forever feel a sadness for the life they were supposed to have growing up together. This week, I was sitting on my couch underneath that painting, typing notes for today's message. And as I began to relive the details of this devastating week, memories began flooding back. I was overwhelmed. I again thought, I don't want to do this. And I doubted that I could stand on this stage today. I closed my eyes. I let the tears fall. I sat in my feelings. And I said to the Lord, God, I can't do this. I really, really don't think that I can do this. And then Philippians 4.13 came to my mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I'm stubborn, and I wasn't satisfied with that. So as my eyes were still closed, I said out loud, God, are you sure you want me to do this? I opened my eyes, and in front of me is a picture of Marco on our wall, next to it a verse that I see every day, but it was as if God highlighted for me to answer my question, are you sure you want me to do this? I read, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Then I read Jeremiah 1-7. Now, I know that some of you Bible scholars might want to call me out right now, Ruthie, but bear with me for a minute. I don't know about you. When I feel confident that God has given me a word, 
I really want to read the before, the after, the all around to get more context, to get more clarity, to seek truth. So I put my notes away. I open up my Bible. The question's still in my head. Are you sure you want me to do this? Started with the answer. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for I will be with you wherever you go. Jeremiah 1, 7 through 8. For you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you to. Do not be afraid, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. It wasn't until the next day that I sat in that same spot, looked up at that verse on the wall, and realized the verse on the wall does not say Jeremiah 1-7. The verse on the wall is actually from Joshua 1-9. But through my pain and in my searching, I found God and he found me. He met me where I was and spoke to me through his living word. He loves me that much, and he loves you too. So I don't know who needs to hear this testimony today, but I know someone does. And I do know that I am not here by my own strength or will, but by God. And whoever you are, know that he is pursuing you, that he is calling you back to him, that he loves you that much. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our trouble so that we may comfort those in their trouble with the comfort we receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort overflows. He pursues us. He brings us back to life. He brings us back to him. He calls us out of our comfort zones for his name's sake and for his glory. The enemy thought he had me on September 15th, 2018, but Jesus said she is mine. It's been five years. Five years. We've now crossed the threshold of living life without Marco's presence longer than the four years that we were blessed to have him in ours. Time is a strange thing, a gift for sure. Fleeting, yet some moments seem to stand still, racing to the finish line and also tired of the race. I think grief is an even stranger thing. Today I feel it in my bones, almost like my body's sick from it. I struggle to cultivate a rhythm of grief like there should be a rhythm, a failed attempt to control and manage the highs and lows of a life with an undercurrent of pain and loss. Five years, it doesn't seem long until it does. Five years doesn't define me until some days it does. I will live, relive this week and this day the days before and the days after every year, and each year it will hit me differently. But I know, however I feel, wherever I go, God is already there. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you.